0: This is Audience Meets Artist from Augustana Arts, where we bring you behind the scenes stories from local, regional, and internationally acclaimed artists. This is Lynn Nestingen, Executive Director of Augustana Arts, and I am pleased to sit down for an inspiring and wise conversation with violinist and past teacher in our City Strings program, Julia Shizio-Popham, as she shares her intriguing and wonderfully creative journey as musician now graduate student studying folklore at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Julia, why don't you tell us a little bit about your journey in the arts and how you got to where you are today?
1: Absolutely. Um, As I was pondering this question, I I think there's a tendency to try and uh, package package lives into these coherent narratives, but um, I, I would say that from a very early age, I've, I've always really been drawn to artful expression. And so when I was four years old, I started the violin through the Suzuki method. And my mom, Heather Gruis and I uh, practiced this until th- really through middle school. And from there, I became much more serious about violin and um, I had really (laughs) like a laser focus toward becoming an orchestral violinist. Um, So through high school, I was practicing three to four hours a day conservatory bound, and I would say a, a major turning point for me happened my junior year. In high school, when I participated in Carnegie Hall's first uh, National Youth Orchestra, and yeah, it was you know it was an extraordinary experience. We uh, we worked with Valerie Girgiev and Joshua Bell. Um, we performed at in London for the BBC Proms and Moscow, St Petersburg, uh, the Kennedy Center. It, it was truly it was it was extraordinary, um, and in that orchestra. I was I was exposed to the the best youth players in the country and it was it was the first time that I got like a real serious glimpse at what it takes to just to master one's instrument and play it at the highest level possible and for me at the time it was it was a little bit of a wake-up call and a shock because um, I, as much as I loved the violin, I couldn't see myself solely dedicating my soul, my heart to this one instrument for the rest of my life. And so from there, um, I, I decided to go, and, instead of going to a hyper-focused conservatory, I went to Northwestern so that I could still pursue music, but I would also be in a university where I could um, broaden, broaden my horizons. And from there, I went a little rogue, so um, (laughs) I started a band, I (laughs) (laughs) um, I, I became really interested in the history of American folk music. I traveled through Ireland to study Irish fiddling in Northern Ireland. Um, And it was really just a time of pushing, pushing my musical boundaries past this world that I had grown up so so much focus within. And at this point, the boundaries just keep getting pushed. Um, uh, I'm in graduate school for folklore at the University of North Carolina, and I'm particularly working actually with a collection of visual art, so completely different than music, uh, that was created by one man while he was um, incarcerated at the Amachi Japanese American uh, concentration camp in Grenada, Colorado. So. boundaries the boundaries keep going but at this point i would say even though my my journey just keeps expanding um i think that there's definitely still a thread of being drawn to artful expression and what i think most draws me to this realm is that um i think that when we can find those certain pieces, whether it's music or writing, or art that strike us, there's, there's this disorienting intimacy between artist and audience. And um, as I, as I work with this collection of art now, I find that instead of thinking of, in this example, the Japanese American incarceration camps is just kind of this broad fact that I can't really relate to, when i see someone's personal expression suddenly it starts to open up this history and there's a there's a deep humanity in it so externally the journey is wild but i think internally there's there's a there's a thread so julia let's
0: back up to your early roots like where where were you born and raised and yeah.
1: tell me about do you have siblings were they musical were you Were your parents musical great question i was born in golden colorado so really close where we are and uh, my parents are both doctors my dad is an eyelid surgeon very specific and my mom's a family practice doctor (laughs) yeah so totally definitely not musical um and i have one brother jared and jared is a filmmaker so he also has has become an artist
0: but well filmmaker is very creative expression so your parents must have had some kind of uh inkling or at least encouragement in expressive creative you know using your gifts whether it's through film or music by encouraging you through violin
1: absolutely absolutely yeah my my mom especially comes from um an artistic family my my grandmother is a extraordinary watercolor painter and uh i think that my mom has always had a deep appreciation for the arts but in her generation she didn't feel like she could go there so for for her kids it became it became her dream for us as well
0: yeah tell me a little bit about um i know as uh a while ago, but when you were preparing for the audition for the National Youth Orchestra, I mean, like, would, would, did you travel to New York to do that? Um, and did you have to spend the whole summer there with the orchestra or how, how long of a commitment was that?
1: Yeah, so. The audition itself was recorded, and this is where I am so grateful for one of my key mentors, uh, Francesca Anderig, who I met at Interlochen. And she told me, I think you should apply for this. And at the time I was like, are you kidding? Like, there's no way. <laughs> no. Um, but then my mom put the audition music on my stand and was like, okay, just why, you have nothing to lose, just try. And at that point, um, for I think there were like eight videos I had to submit and I probably recorded upwards of 200 that Francesca generously went through and selected like which ones should go yeah Um, and getting in was truly like one of the most joyful (laughs) experiences of my life Uh, and so the whole program it was it was actually only three weeks so we spent one week in purchase new york rehearsing and yeah getting ready and then we went to we started in washington dc at the kennedy center and then we flew over to moscow uh, and then saint petersburg where we performed at the Mariinsky second theater and then um, we finished at the proms in London. So for, for a 17 year old, it was wild. <laughs> I can't imagine that just sounds amazing.
0: Um, did, did your, did Fran, is it Francesca? You said yeah. your instructor, mm-hmm. um, besides musically, did she give you a words of advice and, or just did anything stick out of what she said to you about preparing? And, and then once you made it like some advice that she shared? Oh,
1: (laughs) yeah, Francesca has truly been one of my most influential mentors. She, she's really she's the first teacher who uh, just transparently told me that she believed in me and took a particular interest in me. And um, I think she was a huge part of my sense of confidence and empowerment within the violin and even beyond today. And I do remember one lesson that I, I I was zoning out. I was playing whatever I was playing, but I wasn't really there. And she stopped me and she said, like, what's the point of you doing this? what like, why, why, why show this to me if if you're obviously not here. And I think that that piece of advice, it's really stuck with me. And it's something that I've tried to um, work with, as I keep going of the sense of being present. Um, And then in terms of advice for being in the orchestra, at that point, I think it was more again, just uh, mentally show up, Every day, yeah, and and I w- when you
0: said you dedicated your soul and life to violin, or you had that kind of internal conversation about whether this. It almost sounds like um, when Francesca said, you know, what's the point? You kind of it's Did you bring that conversation then further as you moved in your career to kind of think, well, what's the point? Like in that dedicating to what and leading you then to a different path? Do you think that all kind of melded together on your journey and helped you come
1: to realization what you really do enjoy right now? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. That, at the time, I think her question was focused on like an immediate sense of presence, but right. it can it can go so far beyond that. And, um, Yeah, I I think that the question of why or the question of what's the point, where are you going with this is really the question that I aim to most drive my life. Um, And what's cool is that I don't think the point has actually changed that much, even though externally (laughs) my life has changed quite a bit. And I think the point for me is is again this. There's there's something about expression that create that can create um, a profound sense of connection between artist and audience, and um, I I think that oh, like in classical music, I'm thinking of maybe like the last movement of Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, and it's just joyful and triumphant and exuberant, and I. Uh, even though beethoven was raised in a completely different culture and time period there is something about that deeply internal experience that still resonates with people today and um and at this point with my work in visual art it's a similar sense when i look at these landscapes uh painted by someone who was incarcerated for i mean (laughs) institutional racism it again there's this thread of humanity that suddenly just starts to break open um tendencies toward apathy
0: what are you hoping to do after you get your degree and you've done this extensive research it sounds like is that for your thesis to mm-hmm. have to okay so what are you hoping what do you envision to do with the project like do you have a dream of presenting
1: it to the world and sharing what you've discovered and learned, absolutely, absolutely. I'm in the final weeks of hopefully getting copyright, so that's a whole other thing. But I think um, my my goal would be to uh, write a book on on the work, and then hopefully uh, curate an exhibit that can be shown at least in Denver. I
0: love that. How, how did you even inc- come across this artist and like, how did you realize, and all of a sudden, light bulb, like, this is what I need to pursue? Do you remember that moment? Of... Oh, my gosh,
1: yes. How did you get there? <laughs> that is an excellent question. Um, so this last August, my partner and I decided to just drive down to the Amachi site because, I I had been just starting to explore my identity as a Japanese American woman and was kind of embarrassed by the fact that I had grown up in Denver and I had never visited the site. So uh, we went down and at this really small museum in a very small town, um, we met the founder, curator, everything, John Hopper. And John Hopper showed us this collection that had recently been sent to the museum. Um, and actually, the, the collection had been found in a grandchild's garage in a cardboard box that seemed like it was from right after World War II. So it's a pretty incredible story. But when I, when I looked at these paintings, it was, uh, it was truly disorienting. Because I I had learned about the Japanese American incarceration camps in high school, but the truth is, again, even as a Japanese American woman, I didn't I, I didn't really dwell in that history. I didn't empathize with that history very much. It um it, it's hard to it was hard to wrap my head around on February nineteenth, nineteen forty two a hundred and ten thousand people were forcefully removed from their homes, It's, it's so much to even comprehend. So looking at these paintings, looking at one man's perspective, suddenly it made it lived, it made that experience tangible and empathic. And it, it just, I, I totally fell in love with this collection. So the rest has been, you know, it was lucky I was at the beginning of my master's program so I could devote my time to this project. And uh, I was very lucky in that my advisor who is a scholar in visual art saw the paintings and told me, oh my gosh, like, this is your thesis. It, it has dropped down to you from heaven, like, here you go. <laughs> so it, it really, it was quite serendipitous Wow, so, but you, before you realized
0: that was gonna be your project or your passion to research, you went in, you were pursuing visual arts as a graduate student, correct? You went into the program in visual arts or? Even that,
1: not really, no. I went in actually, um, strangely studying murder ballads from the Appalachian region. Yeah, so I actually, uh, at Northwestern, I started to study the history of American folk music and was really entranced or really uh, swept swept up by the history of murder ballads, because so many of them are based on true stories. And at the time, I'm thinking of one in particular, Omi Weiss, It was, uh, it's based on a true story of a woman, Naomi Weiss, getting killed by a river. Um, And at the time it was really like a warning to young girls as, as a way of saying, don't go out alone with a man, you might get killed. Like step into line, abide by our laws of courtship. And these ballads, though, have been completely repurposed. So in the 1960s, when someone like Bob Dylan or Joan Baez uh, is singing the same ballad, Omi Why, suddenly it's like this nostalgic, whimsical, melancholic doorway toward imagination. So that is actually that is actually what (laughs) I was going to study in grad school, and then things got totally swept up in a different way.
0: Well, isn't that life, um, and I love how it sounds, you know, you had this serendipitous moment, but, you know, you almost have to kind of help yourself along, make the intentional uh, thinking in your head about, you know, what's the purpose, but then also you got to be open to opportunity that presents itself, Do you agree? I mean, is that kind of how you see your life as unfolding? A little
1: balance, a little bit of both. (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely. I think much of my life is is drawn by opportunity, and if I can keep into balance that, so what's the point? Without those opportunities, I'll keep on riding the wave. (laughs) How How do you describe? success
0: how will you know it when you see it or experience it or have experienced it and
1: felt it that is such a wonderful question and first of all i'm i'm so grateful that you're asking you're asking this because i think particularly in our in our country i think that success the idea of success is often uh normalized in into like really external uh viewpoints of, you know, success is making a certain amount of money, success is having a certain number of things on your resume, successes. And I think by even asking the question is a really wonderful step forward (laughs) toward nuancing this definition. Um, Number one, I think that success begins with the individual in a in an internal way. Uh, I think that the I think that in order to be well with others, you must be well with yourself. So I think in terms of wellness and success, I think it has to start within oneself. Um, another part of success is that I think success is not a destination. I think success is a, is a journey and a process. And in that, I think it's, um, I think it's a journey of just growing. Success is a process of growing as a human being, in empathy, and in, um, in thoughtfulness, and I think success is also to be in balance with oneself between spirit, heart, mind, and that's a, you know that's again it's a it's a it's a journey because I don't know if I've ever been in this ideal balance, but I think it is what, what I can, what I can strive for.
0: Curious where you see yourself 10 years from now, you know, you'll have your graduate degree with this research and hopefully a book out there, but do you, do you have
1: other big visions and plans for how you see yourself in 10 years? I know that ultimately I, I think that my focus is more on, uh, I guess my ethos that will unfold in a myriad of ways, hopefully. And one, one big part of my vision for the next 10 years is to be in, in Colorado. Um, after college, I, I traveled for a while and the experience of, of traveling by myself, it, it really, it revealed to me the importance of being in the place I, I call home. And the place that I feel belonging in. Uh, so at this point, I feel I feel an accountability toward uh, my sense of home and my family. So definitely Colorado. And um, as as a as a growing folklorist at this point, uh, my my goal would be to to focus on and create stories that reorient reorient how we see the world and our history for, for the greater good. And at this point, that's unfolding through my work with the Japanese American concentration camps. But uh, not to be too political, I think our national narrative is fraught enough that there are plenty of narratives we can reorient. <laughs> I would
0: agree, yeah. I have two questions one i'm curious about your explore, your travel after you graduated just uh, share a little bit like was that a uh intentional like try to find yourself travel trip or just like i want to see the world or
1: how long was it where'd you end up going yeah um so after college i was really i was lucky in that i didn't have student debt and i had some money saved up so it was it was important to me that before I jump into my adult life, I had a moment of just, uh, I, I guess, challenging myself as an individual. So it was important to me to, to travel on my own. And um, there were parts of the traveling, actually, there were parts in which I traveled with my aunt and I traveled with my mom. So it was it was interspersed, but I essentially got a one-way ticket to Vietnam and left. And I didn't know <clears throat> when I would come back. And there were, oh my gosh, the experience was, was so wild, but I would say the most impactful part of the journey was my time in Israel. And uh, I spent about six weeks in Israel and worked on a, a commune in the Negev desert right near the border of Gaza. And the time, It was strange in that I was so far from home, and yet it was a place in which I felt centered. And that experience of of finding a sense of belonging and home somewhere else, it it actually, it it led me right back to home. I I don't think that I would have ever come back to Colorado um, or had like a sense of generational accountability if I had not uh, experienced that sense of others having that accountability all around the world. So I I don't know if that makes sense. But (laughs) that journey profoundly shaped um, my dedication to, to cultivating the place I call home. Wow, that's powerful. And
0: uh, too bad, all of us didn't have that opportunity, I mean, to have that journey and be able to come to that realization. I think, you know, even in my 50s, I'm still, you know, searching for that um, commitment to place and where I find peace or, you know, um, joy or whatever, but um, pretty powerful that you at your young age have been able to experience that and come back, come to that realization do you have any words of advice to a young person who perhaps is just getting out of high school, let's say, and uh, the journey of life
1: and how you might embrace it? Yeah. Um, I mean, of course, this is just my opinion, but I would say take your time. Uh, I think that again, particularly in, in, in our American culture, I think that there's a lot of pressure to to get it together uh, and to know exactly the path you're on and that path needs to align with uh, conventional standards of success and. Um, yeah I mean at this point in graduate school when I when I sit in on undergraduate classes and I hear the undergraduates just, there's so much anxiety surrounding like immediately getting into line and getting the job that they're gonna have for the next 20 years. And um, I I think that we have more time than at least I thought. And even though uh, I got some questioning looks when I took that time to travel and, uh, between undergraduate and graduate school, I took three years to uh, work in a music store, uh, teach violin, work in a public library. I think that those experiences are so, so important toward, again, cultivating that inner sense of success and direction. And I think that that inner, again, that inner sense of direction is ultimately what counts. Um, another thing I would say is that life is not a ladder. <laughs> That's something when I was I, when I, was, <laughs> I mean, in some ways, I, I envy my 16 year olds focus. I mean, I was so laser sharp focused on violin. But at the time, I mean, I, I saw my life as okay, if I if I practice three to four hours every day, I'm going to get into conservatory, if I get into conservatory, I'm going to get into this orchestra, if I get it, blah, blah, blah. And obviously, my life has turned out radically different than I had thought. And I think I'm still struggling with embracing life as, as a journey of many paths and forging paths, following paths. Um, And it's not just a complete upward success story.
0: <laughs> that is really terrific advice. Uh, are you are you teaching violin
1: or are you still practicing and playing and what is what does that look like for you? Strangely because of the pandemic, I was going to move to North Carolina for a couple of years, but I have stayed and I don't even know if I'll end up moving. So that's been great. So <laughs> This last year, I've been able to continue to teach a very small studio I have let's see uh, six, six students who I've had for now, almost three years, uh, some over three years and uh, teaching is one of my most joyful parts of life it's um, it's a time of engagement it's a time of discovery and. I, I love working with kids, they are so honest. <laughs> so honest, <laughs> so imaginative, and so honest. And um, yeah, and, and on top of that, I have actually, I have a ritual of practice, but it's actually become more of a, um, of a way of centering myself. Violin, it's, it, is, it was such a massive part of my life for so long that if I don't do it every day, it kind of feels maybe like someone who doesn't, who, who used, who works out a lot and who then doesn't work out. Um, it feels like a part of my brain and my body is not right. So yes. So I, I do still practice and I, I do teach.
0: And I have a feeling you're going to always have that part of your life, no matter where the journey, where you go and how your uh, your story unfolds. Um, Absolutely. That's, that's what a gift to have music um, that you can carry through, even if you do explore other things like folklore or um, the visual arts, right?
1: Oh, absolutely. So. Absolutely. It uses, it uses such a different part of, at least for me, of my brain that I don't use writing or talking or <laughs> it's only yeah. in music.
0: Yeah, that creative expression for sure, um, and and that you've so embraced it seems for your whole life that um, uh, permission to be able to express yourself creatively in whatever way, whether it's musically or artistically, visually, um, story. So, um, So, are you? Uh, do you have a website presence, or are you still working on your research and? Uh, If people want to learn more about Julia and your project, which sounds amazing, how are we going to hear about the
1: final product and the book and see this artwork? Yes, I do have a website and it doesn't have anything on the current project I'm doing, but that will be forthcoming. I should definitely put that on there. It's called workingthesis.org. And at this point, Working Thesis is... Uh, it's a series of essays I've written, and I think they reflect how all over the place my brain is because it ranges from uh, Japanese aesthetics to Victorian ghost stories. But it's it's, um, it, it's an ongoing journey with, with my own writing and, and curiosities. But that will be the place that will hold um, I, I recently made a short documentary on the collection, and that will go up on Working Thesis.
0: Wow, there's so much that we didn't even get a chance to talk about a documentary, <laughs> Julia. <that's>, wow. <laughs> no. So when do you think we can see that? I'm I'm intrigued. I mean, boy, this project sounds amazing. Uh, when, when When will this be available for us to see?
1: Yeah, definitely. So I will say at this point, it is contingent upon copyright developments, but if everything goes smoothly, um, the video should be available to the public by, I'm going to say early August safely, probably before then, but early August.
0: Really, I'm so pleased. And uh, wow, you're so wise beyond your years. It's uh, very, it was fun to talk with you and hear your story. I mean, we meet people and you know, there's so much more to a person than just, you know, your resume and you taught city strings. But boy, I mean, Julia, you've, you've got some gifts and you're going to go far. And I'm so impressed and uh, excited to see your project completed and um, to see how that unfolds for you. So I appreciate you taking the time for audience meets artist. And uh, you're an artist in so many ways, deep, profound ways. So we're grateful for you and your gifts. Can't wait to see how it unfolds.